installment number four of the series, All In. If you have a Bible, go with me to Romans 12, and then uh, hold your place there and go to Colossians 3. Put a marker there. We'll be in those two passages today. There are no, insert notes. I want you to take real good notes. Uh, you, we really need this. Before I get into that, I just want to, I want to tell you one. This is a phenomenal, it's a wonderful thing. Tomorrow, school starts back. Can I get an amen? Oh, my gosh. Anybody else excited about this? I am so excited. School is back in session tomorrow. So I need every teacher, every teacher's assistant, instructional assistant, IAs. You're a bus driver. You're a school lunch lady. You're an administrator. You work as a counselor in the school district. I don't care if you're public, private, or homeschool. If you're involved in the life of education of our kids, I want you to stand where you are. Just going to have you stand. Woo! Thank you. Keep standing. Keep standing. Thank, no, keep standing. Keep standing because we're going to pray for you. You don't get thanked enough, although we do blame you when our kids mess up. What would you do with my kid? You should have fixed him by now. Yeah. You so. Uh, we want to pray for you as you do your thing, and I just want to let you know we're really, really grateful for your investment in young people. It's the, it's the generation. So, Lord, as we start back to school uh, tomorrow, I, um, we present these, uh, these teachers, uh, counselors, IAs, administrators, bus drivers, crossing guard people, just custodians, everybody who has got some influence in the life of little ones. May we be Jesus. We present these to you. May we be Jesus to these little ones, for such as that the kingdom of heaven is all about. We want um, the kids to see Jesus in us this year like never before. And, and may we give them the reason for the hope when they ask. May we be kinder than we need to be. Maybe then it's more prudent. May we be wiser than we already are, uh, wiser than we know. And, and may we have a level of patience working with this generation, for we know this generation maybe more than any other, needs Jesus more than ever. And so we pray to the glory of a great year. We pray to the glory of your son for a great year for all these who are involved in education. We pray this in Christ's name with thanksgiving. The church says amen. 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 You may be seated. Yeah, thank you. So All In is the series. Number one, we went all in as it dealt with being fully committed to follow Christ, not half in the boat, half out of the boat, right? Fully in the boat, right? Uh, week two, we were said, we're, now we're all in, we're going all out. So once we're in the boat, we're taking off, we're going fast, we're, we're going furious. So we're following the Lord, and we're not doing it half-heartedly. We're all in, and we're moving this thing all out. Uh, third week, we found that there are certain myths that keep us from uh, really doing well, and those myths will take us all under if we're not careful. So we looked at the myths, like the church is all about me, or, or the Christ, Christian faith is all about me, and it's really not. It's really about Jesus and really the glory of God. And it's about the work of the Holy Spirit here on earth today. So that, it's not about you and me. It's about him. It really is. That's the story. And if we believe the myths, it'll take us under, all under. This week, what I want to do is number four is all through. Because here, is, I want to talk about the culture of who we are as Christians and the culture that we pervade in the, in the community and the culture that we are when we're assembled. There ought to be a certain kind of culture among us. And the Bible speaks to that actually in depth, to a, a fair amount of depth. And I want to give you two passages. I'm going to give you some other scripture today, and you can jot some notes. We're going to go really fast because this is a topic. Uh, Christian culture, if you will, is, is so important today. And you, we, maybe one day we're going to do a whole series. I think 
Uh, maybe in the next year or two we'll do a series on it. Because we are a church that worships, connects, grows, serves, and shares. We worship a great God. We connect with God's people. We grow in our faith. We're always constantly growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then as we grow, we serve one another in love. We don't do it because we have to. We get, do it because we get to. And we love that. We don't, we, you know, it's in the boat, you know this. If you're busy rowing the boat, what's the answer to that? You don't have time to what? Rock the boat. That's deep. Think about it. Have you ever been in a boat where all they're doing is rocking, messing around, right? If you're busy rowing the boat, if you're serving the Lord with gladness, you don't have time to rock the boat. Okay? Some of you right now are writing that down. You want to know the Bible reference to it. Keep looking. <laughs> Let me know when you find it. Okay? So, you're serving the Lord with gladness and you're sharing the greatest story in the world. The story of faith and the story that Christ changed your life. He could change anyone's life. So, that, that's, that's who we are. It's what we do. But how do we do that? That's the culture question today. That's the culture. Because, quite frankly, it's the kind of the culture is the ground. If I could go to another word picture, it'd be, um, how many of you have planted flowers in like, uh, you know, the Maryland clay and then they die? Then you dig them back up again, you go to the store and buy more. And you think after the third time you're there, you're thinking, I just, I need some plastic flowers or something. I need, you know, something made out of metal, something that's not going to, because it's just, it's tough. And the problem isn't the flower. The problem is the ground. You have to plow the ground well and it has to be fertilized. In fact, what, I, what I've learned is this. If you spend a dollar on a plant, doesn't matter if it's a tomato plant, cucumbers, flowers, doesn't matter. Spend a, a dollar on the plant, spend two dollars on the ground. You spend twice as much on the ground. And you know what you'll have? You'll have a great plant. But if you don't put money in the ground, you don't actually work on the ground, that's where it is. That's where the action is, is in the ground. You've got to cultivate the right culture, if you will, for your plant. We as a church family have to cultivate the right culture. Okay, we're in Romans chapter 12. Here we go. Number one that we do is this. I'm going to give you the top ten. This is the mindset that will sustain us, and it will keep us, by the way, go back to the, the boat illustration now, it will keep us from having mutiny on the boat. Some of you are wondering, okay, I got the word picture. I'm in the boat, going full steam, can't go under because I've got the myth. Now, I don't want mutiny on the boat. We don't want someone to turn on me while I'm in the boat. Any of you, this is summertime, right? We've all been on vacation. We did this a number of years ago. We had a great big van, I mean a huge van, um, a gas-guzzling van. I mean, I was so glad the day we sold that thing. It, it's a big van, but you know what we liked about it? Every kid in our family had their own chair. It was a, they all had their own captain's chairs with their own cup. And it was a high-top van, got terrible mileage, and wasn't good on ice, freezing rain, or anything. But it was a great van in that in it, they, they were so far away from each other, they couldn't touch each other. So when we're on a trip, kind of getting a hallelujah, we're on vacation, Dad, uh, she's breathing on me. It didn't ever happen because they were so far away. He looked at me again. You couldn't do that. So it's the big van. Now, the only thing that van was missing is that, that glass wall between the driver I mean, that would sell. If, you're, if you work for an automaker, you need to think about, you know, looking at what the police do with that little glass wall, at least the cage wall, but certainly a glass wall would even be better just that, hit the button, you know. I don't hear anything. Do you hear anything, honey? No, I don't hear a thing. It's just peace and quiet where I am. Because there could be mutiny on the vacation. Couldn't there be? 
Anybody ever gone on a two-week vacation and like one weekend you wonder, why did we say two weeks? <laughs> Anybody else? Any of you gone on a three-day vacation, first day in, you're going, why three days? Yeah, yeah, mutiny on the ship. Yeah, you don't want that to happen. So here's the way it's going to happen. We have to learn what the culture is of how we get along with each other. So this isn't what we do, it's how we do it. Here it is. Number one, we place high value on people. Because people matter to God, so they matter to us. Jesus put it this way. Even if a guy has 100 sheep, he loses one of them, what does he do? He pens up the 99, and he goes out looking for the one. Now, he loves the 99. He doesn't go, well, I got 99. It never occurs to him not to go look for that lost sheep. Okay? He goes, and that tells you and me something about God's love for us. Listen carefully. He not only loves us all, he loves us each. He not only loves us all, but he loves you individually. He, if you were lost, he would go out looking for you. I've said it before from Max Lucado's book. If, if God had a refrigerator in heaven, your picture would be on it. That's just how much he loves you. Since people matter to God, they matter to us. And, and Jesus is telling us something huge. Jesus did not come to earth to die for church budgets, church parking lots, or programs. Jesus came to give us eternal life. He came for people, and so we give our lives and invest in people. One of the greatest objections to Christianity is, that, is the way people are treated, harshly, cruelly, dishonestly, deceptively. That should never happen among God's people, ever. We should be who we are, and what you see is what you get. Sometimes people are viewed as, as they're expendable, or sometimes they view Christians as critical. We want to be generous, kind, life-giving, because they matter to God. They certainly matter to us. I became weak to the, those who are weak. Why? So I could win the weak, Paul wrote. I, by all, th- all possible means, he says, I want to do this. Why? So some could be saved. So we'll do whatever it takes to help people come to Christ. Why? Because people matter to God, so they matter to us. Number two, we believe in transformational change, not just kind of a a mild kind of change. We think that when a person comes to Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new is come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. We believe the person becomes something he was not before, she was not before. We not only possess new life, but there is a whole new future in front of us. It, now it comes down to addressing the thinking because you thought one way before, now you have, the transfer, you have this opportunity for your mind to be transformed, to be changed. So you do not conform to the pattern. This is Romans 12.1. You do not conform to the pattern of this world anymore. What do you do? You, you find your way, your way and your, your whole identity in God, in Christ. So you do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your thinking changes. And then you'll be able to test and improve what God's Good, pleasing, what his perfect will is when you know how you might think. But you know what? We get that out of order. Sometimes you say, I don't want to do that way because I don't feel like it. Well, feelings need to be like the caboose of the train. The engine that drives it is the thinking, the change of thinking. When you do the right thing, all of a sudden, you'll feel better about it. Your emotions will actually change. That's, that's transformational. We believe in transformational change. Thirdly, is that we bring the best out of each other with our gifts. Each of us has different gifts according to the grace that God's given to us, Romans 12, verse 6. 
Some for it's prophesying, others it's, yeah, others it's for serving, it's, and for others it's teaching, for others, verse 8, it's encouraging, and, and then for some it's giving, and for others it's leading, for others it's mercy, then they have to do that uh, cheerfully. Each follower of Christ has been blessed with a spiritual gift, or two, or three, and you have to learn what that gift is, and, and, and then find out where you fit best on the team, and that'll change not only the way you minister, but it'll change the way you serve. It'll change your stickability to the way you minister. And you know what it'll change? It'll change the way you think about yourself. It changes your self-worth. Why? Because you think differently about yourself because you know you can contribute back in your service. You know how God's wired you. So you're a happy Christ follower. I'm telling you, it will impact your life. Uh, we, we talk about this all the time in our uh, Sunday night uh, core classes. In the third Sunday night, by the way, I skipped past some notes. Um, we'll, but on the third Sunday night of the month, uh, we do a class that just addresses this whole aspect of serving. I mean, you, you may have attended SBC for a long time, and you really aren't engaged like you'd like to be. Come the third Sunday night of September, just mark that down, and in 90 minutes, we'll let you answer a few questions on some paper, and we'll find what your sweet spot is. And then you're able to figure out where you serve best, which is what you're going to enjoy. And if you enjoy it, there's probably a you're going to be good at it, and there's probably some stickability to it. See, you can contribute back in your service, and if you do it within your gift mix, we bring out the best in each other. It's just that simple. Each one of you should use whatever gift you've been given, First Peter 4. Whatever gift you've been received of others, and then, and then you are faithfully serving God's grace in its various forms when you serve through that gift. But no matter how good you're gifted, no matter how well those gifts play out, if you don't handle people well, it's going to limit. It's going to limit your effectiveness. Why? Because number four, we have to be lovingly devoted to each other. Lovingly devoted. Skip down now to verse nine, Romans twelve. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse ten. We have to be devoted to one another in love. Get that, devoted to each other. We, in other words, we stick up for each other. And not just when it's easy, but we're devoted to each other in love. We honor each other above our own selves. So we care for people more than programs. We are, we are careful not only with what we say, but the way we say it, the timing, the tone, the inflection, our body language, all that. Why? Because it all matters. Why? Because people matter to God. And, and we want to do our best to bring each other along and so we're devoted to each other. We hang in there with each other. And the only time that's going to fall apart is when there's just like plain old willful sin. We don't want to enable that. But other than that, we're going to be loyal to each other. And even with the sinning brother, I'm going to say to him, I, I, I know you're caught in a sin, but let me help you. Let me get you with another guy who's had some success in that area. And we'll help pull you out, not kick you down. That's how devoted we are. Number five, we are generous in heart and in action. It's part of the culture here. And I don't need to preach this because you already know this. We share with God's people who are in need. You practice hospitality. This happens all the time, Romans 12, verse 13. We know that, that God is open-handed towards us, so we're open-handed with other people. But here's the, the sermon. Uh, something will happen at SPC, and someone will be in trouble. They'll end in the hospital or sick, or a loved one's uh, uh, passed away or a job situation, family stress, and, and one of the staff members will call. You know what will happen? They'll say, oh, you know, it's, it's okay. 
my small group, and then they'll begin to tell me a story. They brought more food than my refrigerator can hold. Or they've been with me. They've prayed with me, and they came to the hospital, or they came to my home, and the care happens. You're generous in spirit and in action. And that just, you want to be known for that. We want to be known for that. I've told you this before. Every Christmas we open this building is. You know, it's a house of worship, but in December, this becomes a Christmas store for some underprivileged families, and we, you know, we pile the chairs up, and this becomes, you know, this becomes interior decorating, and this is women's, and, and there's, uh, you know, just, there's sporting goods over here. That's the only section I really know. There's men's tools. There's tools. Not men's tools. You're not allowed to do that anymore. There's just tools. I don't know. Anyway. But there's like, there's different sections to the store, and there's kids stuff. There's a book section, which is really a lot of fun. And uh, what'll happen is, as we're setting up the store, we'll find something's missing. We don't have enough, whatever. And someone will just slap down a hundred bucks and say, "Go, go to the store and, and get some of that, whatever it is that we need." Someone saw it last year, and they came back the next day with a trunk load. And they had a big, I don't know, it was a minivan or a pickup truck or whatever it was. They brought back a pile of bicycles. Bicycles. My goodness. Hey, that's how generous SBC is. I just find when people are in need, you can't believe how our church just helps beyond what is sometimes even prudent. I mean, it's just above and beyond. Because God has been kind to us and generous to us, you have been generous. That's part of the culture here. So we command those who to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And that, that's your life. I'm so grateful for it. Number six, we treat people gently and respectfully. In our hearts, we, set a Christ, we revere Christ as Lord, set him apart in our hearts, and we're always prepared to give an answer to anyone we ask for the reason of the hope, 1 Peter 3, 15. But we do this, here it is, the end of the verse, <laughs> with gentleness and respect. There's a powerful dynamic that Peter addresses in the very end of that. He says, we tell the story of who Jesus is, but we do it with gentleness and respect. Remember the Peanuts cartoon and the teacher would talk? Remember this? You remember, wah, 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 wah. When you are not gentle and respectful, that's the way you sound. And sometimes people who complain a lot or, or harp a lot, you know what I tell them? You need to go home and take a little nap and get your happy face back on. And they'll say, what do you mean by that? Oh, that's proof right there. The hands on the hips. Doing that thing. We all know that person needs a nap. We treat people gently, respectfully. Therefore, as God's chosen people, here it is, you're in Colossians, flip now from Romans to Colossians, chapter 3. Verse 12, therefore as God's chosen people are holy, dearly loved. That's who you are, it's what you got, but you already have it, okay? Now, you're to put on, you're to clothe yourself. In other words, just put it on like you do a suit of clothes. You're to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's like you get up in the morning and you put those things on. You treat people with sincere care. Why? Because you respect them even if you disagree with them. You respect them and honor them even if, even if they aren't towing the line like you think. Even if they don't believe the way you do, you still show them proper respect. And we have to be known for this. 
Get this, we are a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Get this, no one's going to get it right all the time. That's why we have to be gentle and respectful with each other. That will win more hearts, let me tell you, than all the arguments won in the world. It's your kindness. You know what, sometimes you ever have a person push your buttons, you know what I mean by that? But sometimes people come at me ready to push my buttons. Treat me a certain way. And you know what? That's a setup. And Satan knows that ploy on me and on you to make you not so credible as a Christian. So since you know that, then already set in your mind, you, there are no buttons to push. You cannot tip me over. You cannot tip me off. You, it can't be done. And by doing that, then you diffuse the argument so you can have a discussion, even about areas you disagree, with gentleness and respect. And that requires us to have a culture, next one, of forgiveness. We are quick to forgive. We bear with each other, verse 13, and we forgive one another. Even if you've got a grievance, you get this, this might be an offense, it might not even be an offense, it might just be a grievance. It might just be something you don't prefer. You just don't like it, but you have to be quick to forgive. Why? Because we know we've been so forgiven of our, ourselves. We are quick to forgive, and so we don't carry grudges. Get this, write this down. Holding a grudge is giving someone else free rent space in your head. When you hold a grudge, you're giving them, the person you're holding a grudge against, you're giving them free rent space in your head. Did you mean to do that? No. You're giving to them free rent. And I'll tell you another part to this. They don't even know it. I mean, they're, they're going along whistling, offending other people as well, not realizing they've ticked you off. I mean, they're not worried about what you think, and they're not. You can hold a grudge all day. They're going, it's his problem. Let me tell you, though, what forgiveness will do. In the, on the medical side, we know what blood pressure is, don't you? Blood pressure, you have to have enough to pump blood through your body, but you don't want so much that you pop something in your brain. That's called a stroke. You've, and, you know, so we've, you've said it to people, you've heard it said, hey, don't have a stroke, dude. You know, pipe down, calm down, don't have a stroke. Okay? Don't blow, I mean, a volcano blow. People with that personality blow have a high tendency for stroke. When you forgive, guess what happens? Your spiritual blood pressure drops. Is this cool or what? Because you can just, you can let it go. And when your spiritual blood pressure drops because you've forgiven and you let go of the grievances, you know what happens? The blood flow changes. When you're angry, you're hot. You ever heard that phrase for hot-headed? You know, when someone just blows up and that little vein in their forehead comes out, right? They turn red, right? Other people get nervous. Guess what happens? Their blood vessels actually shut down and their hands get cold. Why? Because you can't get blood out there if the blood vessels are closed down. Bad for your health. Bad for your health. So when you shut down the flow of blood, you're cutting out good health. But if you get good blood pressure, that will actually cleanse your body, build your immunity. It helps you with other, if you think better, you feel better, you have better energy, it's better directed. Your, your digestive system works better, your muscles work better. Have you ever been uptight about something? And, and then you're tense, and then you, you tighten up in the neck. Next thing you know, you're walking and your shoulder's crooked. You ever had this before? Where, your muscles affect each other, and if you could just relax 
and that spasm would go away, it would affect four more spasms that are going to give you trouble. See, when you lower that spiritual blood pressure, you're actually letting loose, and you're giving yourself better spiritual health all throughout your whole body. So when you forgive, it's a gift to yourself. But it's a gift to the body, too. You go, oh, yeah, I let that go. I found it's just not worth hanging on to. And besides, I've been forgiven of so much. Let's let it go. So we forgive quickly. Number eight, we lovingly believe the best in each other. We lovingly believe the best. Uh, verse 14, Colossians 3. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're all about loving each other and standing there together because love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love believes the absolute best. And so even when a bad report comes from a brother or sister, you say, well, you know what? That may have been a bad day for them. I I don't know. Um, I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to believe the best in them until I have evidence the other way. I'm going to believe the best. And when in doubt... I'm going to always believe the best. Howard Hendricks is a professor in Dallas Theological Seminary forever. He was a prof there forever. Brilliant man, godly man, but as a kid, he was a squirrely kid. I mean, a squirrely, nasty kid. Didn't pay attention. I mean, he's a typical, really bright, really easily distracted kid. And so he got in trouble a lot. He could still get good grades because he was so smart but he got a lot of other people around him in trouble. You know the kind of kid? Teachers, you're heading into it tomorrow. (laughs) And we are so happy for you. Little Howie Hendricks, when he was a little kid, squirrely smart, but a troublemaker, and always distracting the class and getting other kids in trouble. And he himself would get kicked out. And that that was the course of his life. And when he moved from, I think it was third grade to fourth grade, as Dr. Hendricks would tell the story, he got a new teacher, and none of the teachers wanted him. And that teacher who got assigned to him said, uh, Howard Hendricks, I need to see you at the end of class, brings Howard to the front of the desk back in the day. And then she began to recite to him everything that she had heard. She said, Howard, I heard you're disruptive. I heard that you get other kids in trouble. I heard that you're a troublemaker. I hear that you, and he, she just went down the list with about a half a dozen or 10 things. And then she pointed her little finger at me and she said, I just want to let you know, I don't believe a word of it. Dr. Hendricks said, I never worked so hard for a teacher in my life because she believed in me. Okay? Understand this. If you'll believe the best in the people around you, they'll produce a little better. They'll work a little harder on patience, kindness, gentleness, virtue, honesty. They'll work a little harder because you believe in them. Do you get this? This is that collective faith thing. But you know what will happen in you? It'll change you too. You'll believe not only the best in them, but the best about yourself. And something will come out of you you never thought would happen. There'll be a virtue in you begin to emerge that you would, could only say thanks to God. But you... But you cultivated that in the ground of your own heart for others, and it will come back to you tenfold. And so because of that, we lovingly believe the best in each other. Number nine, we strive for things to be done wholeheartedly and with excellence. 
We are the people who, whatever we do, we do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, working, uh, not like for human masters, but to the Lord, since it's the Lord God that we're serving, and it's for that inheritance. Uh, and the Lord's inheritance is our reward, and so it's the Lord that we are serving. Since that's the case, we want to do our very best, because that gives to, that gives a reflection of not just the church, but it gives a reflection of who Jesus is. We live in a community that has high expectations for everything from the arts and education and programming and everything else. So when we do our best, we're saying, we're saying this is quality as well. You've been to a lot of places, and our area has a lot of great museums and great entertainment, and the arts are phenomenal. That's wonderful. But when we excel at that, we say, this is worth considering, and we want to do our very best to present the right image of who Christ is because he gave us so much. So we work and strive for excellence, and we work to give it our whole heart. And, not, and number 10, this is it. We realize that's going to require visionary faith, a kind of a faith that's above and beyond us. And, and yet we know at the end of that, is a reward. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we ask God, God, I don't have it within me. Give me the faith even to do this because this whole thing is a faith mission. See, I have to believe him for something I do not already possess. I have to trust him, not only for eternal life, I have to trust him for today, for how he wants to use me and the way we collectively move together as a church family. Well, all right, I'm about done. But next week, uh, we start a new series in Joshua. It's called uh, Courageous. It's going to be a great series, The Life of Joshua. It's going to take us up to Christmas. Uh, Beth Moore's simulcast will be here in a couple of weeks. Ladies, it's going to be a wonderful weekend. November, there's a guy's gig with Tony Evans coming to town, Tony Perkins. We have a lot on docket for fall stuff. Uh, Harvest Party stuff, you were asked about that. There's a great kids' event, too, in October sometime. And, uh, and there's just a lot happening. You don't want to miss it. But you know what you really don't want to miss? You don't want to miss what God's going to do in our lives together, collectively, as we cultivate our own hearts and ask him to do something wonderful, something rich, something he's never done before, and, and produce in us a harvest of great faith. And that's, that's really what the mission is all about. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. I pray the prayer that uh, is really the song, too. Lord, you're the one who heals my soul. You're the one, Lord, who makes me whole. You're my healer. So I pray that in behalf of the church family. And so we are going to praise you. And we're going to thank you. Because you've done a wonderful work in us. So we want to we live back a life that is worthy to you. But we don't want to do it individually. We want to do it collectively. And that's going to take a certain kind of culture of our own, or a kind of a grace, if you will, that visits us in an unusual way. So help us, Lord. To, may we walk in step with what you want to do. May we treat each other like royalty because that's what we are. And may people see in us Christ, the hope of glory, we pray. And we pray this in the strong name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The church says amen. Amen. amen.